And we're back at the Lars. That sounded a bit low energy, didn't it? We're back. I'm, I'm very excited to be back. Yay, we are back at the Lars Resort. Still a podcast with myself, Lars Evertson. Uh, brought to you by Betson. I think I forgot to do my usual intro last time. I was too giddy to have my good friend Peter on the line. And we're going to head uh, straight back into part two of that conversation with the excellent Peter Welpton of uh, the equally excellent uh, show, The Kick Around on the Ticket out of Dallas, uh, as we sort of breezily maneuver our way through what we made of of, of last uh, of last season. We've, we've gotten to the top 10, which... Uh, which is probably the most exciting part, isn't it? Yeah, I tend to think so. But it does mean I have to come to terms with like what happened to Tottenham this season and a few other things. So stay tuned for that bit of psychodrama. Yes. All right. Let's crack on. Well done. Well played, Lars. Good for you. Look at us. At exactly an hour, we've gotten through the bottom half <laughs> oh of the table. God. And now we break through the glass ceiling yeah. into the top half at 10th place, Lars. In 10th place is obviously everybody knows Fulham ends up in 10th place Lars yeah congratulations this is officially at this point your worst <laughs> prediction oh you God. had them in 18th uh, uh you had Fulham at 18th and getting relegated sir yeah I did I didn't believe I I didn't believe in Fulham and Fulham are in such a weird space because I feel like they're the team we haven't spoken about a lot this season because they're kind of other underdogs who have done even better and in more interesting ways. And I feel it's kind of harsh on Fulham. Incredible season. Uh, incredible stuff um, by Marco Silva. And I think they've, they've fallen foul of like nerds like me. We like to talk about systems and like tactics. I think with Fulham, it's a little bit more of a case of they they signed of individual players performing really well and much more more better than expectations. Like uh, Juan Palinha being one of the best ball winning midfielders in the league. I didn't see that coming. Amazing yep. work by the recruitment department at at Fulham. What a season he had. And also like Mitrovic finally like being the beast that he can be. Uh, a little bit too beastly there uh, towards the referees at the end, but you know, 14 <laughs> goals and 23 appearances are brilliant. And like William, who again, I egg on my face, I poo pooed this transfer in a very uh, aggressive and flamboyant manner when it happened. I thought it was a complete waste of time. Uh, William, really good, consistently excellent for them this season. And they just, you know, there's the Tim Ream redemption story, a lot of stuff going on for Fulham. Uh, they were very, very difficult to play against and uh, and score uh, or very difficult to play against. They were at least solid enough defensively, uh, thanks in large part to the madman in midfield, and that they could find goals. They're another one who I think the X, I suspect the XG is maybe not that great. I should probably double check this, but I think their XG against is pretty bad. So there might be a hint of sort of slight overperformance there, but uh but no, great, amazing season by Fulham. Uh, didn't see this coming at yeah. all. Uh, hugely impressive. G- guess I got to drop another A. Uh, absolutely. I think an A is highly deserved. And I don't blame you on the prediction of relegation because they essentially got everything right that they got so wrong the last time they got promoted. And it and it's a good sign that they seem to have learned some lessons from a few seasons ago when they yeah. uh, uh, and so I, I think that I think an A is fully deserved. Um, I, I, I hope you an keep F an, in terms I, of your prediction. Yeah, absolutely. And I, ho- <laughs> I hope you keep an air out uh, in the American sports media. If you ever hear anyone has like a long interview with Tim Ream 
and and gets to the bottom of what on earth happened to this guy because he had a really good year and looked really good and uh, I've yeah. not said that about him in the Premier League before. Well, I don't know if anybody over there has paid attention, but not only did he have a good run for Fulham this season, he had an amazing run for the national team in the World Cup. He was a guy that wasn't even essentially supposed to make the roster and only through injury got added late. And he was arguably was one of the two best players for the U.S. I thought throughout the entire tournament. So. It's been an amazing year for Tim Ream, and and uh, for those of us who are Tim Ream fans, we're kind of happy for him. <laughs> there are dozens of you. <laughs> there are dozens of us. <laughs> uh, all right, so you gave Fulham a solid A. Very good. Now we move to ninth place, staying in London, in West London, no less. Uh, the kings of West London. It is Brentford, the Bees, in ninth place. And Lars, do you remember where you had Brentford placed? I think, I mean, I looked at this not that long ago now, but I've forgotten already. But I do think, I I well, believe they were going to have a slightly difficult second season. I didn't yes, have Yes, Lars, I was going to tell you this. If, 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 Fulham's, if your prediction for Fulham was bad, well, your prediction for Brentford was equally crappy. Oh, my God, it, did I have them all the you, way going down? You No. Well, you had them in 17th. They finished okay, in 9th. Okay. Yeah. They finished in 17th. Fulham, you had at uh, 18th, and they finished mm. 10th. So it's the same it's same gap as you did. Yeah, numerically uh, as bad. Yeah, I did yeah, have them numerically to go, as bad. at least not to go down. No, I thought they were going to have this sort of, they came up and they were amazing. And so many players who we don't know that, didn't know that well, uh, performed really well. And I kind of wondered if it was going to be the Sheffield United thing of uh, the next season. They just kind of get found out a little bit. But uh, more fool me. Yeah. They were fantastic. And I, I actually think... Brentford is part of the reason why Fulham don't get talked about that much because Brentford is kind of a similar story, but even more interesting. And they're even smaller <laughs> in terms of their budget. And all yeah, this I agree. Stuff. Yeah, And I think they're just a, they're such a great story for nerds like me. Like you have people who understand numbers and, uh, and stuff. It, it, yeah, it's the revenge of the nerds thing. Uh, and, and I love how Brentford, when they got promoted and in the championship, they were quite a sort of high pressing, quite possession happy team. But after getting promoted, they were like, probably can't do this in this division so they kind of pivoted and were much more direct and and identified that set pieces are very important they're very very good on set pieces but also that they have a real weapon in ivan tony who's someone who can both win physical battles but it's also really mobile so if you kind of launch quite a long a lot of long balls towards him he'll create a lot of trouble for uh, uh for opponents he's kind of like not that they could sign him i don't think he'd go but he would be the ideal sort of if they if West Ham needed to re- someone who can do the Mikhail Antonio thing of being the sort of sad lonely striker who like the Moisey boys they hoof it towards him and just like good luck you have no help just try to do something with this <laughs> uh, I think Ivan Tony could do that really really well <laughs> but uh, I think if he's going to leave Brentford he should probably aim higher when he comes out of this very very lengthy uh, gambling ban that he's uh, he's suffered but no Brentford incredibly impressive one of the smallest budgets in the division so well drilled they know what they're good at and they stick to that i remember one game where thomas frank said that for a game like this we had to do three things it was to uh, uh, win our you know try to win our 50 50s to to run like demons and to win the set piece wars and, and that's kind of it like they they're be- they try to be better at set pieces than the opponent they run a lot and they make sure they you know win more challenges than they lose and and that takes you really far 
Well, let me let me defend you on your prediction of 17th in the same way that I thought you probably weren't that far off in thinking Fulham in 18th just based on history. What I think people forget was in the previous season, Brentford was kind of circling the drain until they uh, brought Christian Eriksen in. Yes. He helped them stave off relegation and help finish the season off. Well, they lose Eriksen in the offseason to United, right? And so I think there was a lot of wondering how they were going to do uh, were they going to go back to the team pre Erickson that was just not doing very well? So yeah, I, no, know, no, I, I think, no, knowing how my brain works, that's probably what I wrote in the predictions as well. That I sort of I yeah. probably probably looked up on the Understat website where you can uh, divide according to dates and stuff, and and found you know points average before and after Erickson and this sort of thing. But no, very super super impressive. Brentford. Amazing to see both West London clubs, Fulham and Brentford, finishing above Chelsea. I mean, that is, again, just objectively very funny. And uh, and you have to uh, you have to drop another A. Can I... You, I, I I'm tempted you have to, to say... Yeah, and I'm tempted to say like an A-plus as well. Like Brentford top half of the table is, is absolutely incredible. Yeah, there was never a scenario I thought that anybody would have predicted that Brentford and Fulham finished higher in the table than West Ham and Chelsea. No, there, there really was not. Uh, incredible no. stuff from, from everyone involved. Uh, yes, the bright lights of West London shine brightly. Uh, all right, so that takes us to... Uh, so you officially giving Brentford the same A you gave Fulham, correct? Did I hear you say that? I, I'm slapping on an A-plus because they've spent less money. Excellent. Okay. At eighth, it is your very own Spurs, Lars. Tottenham in eighth place. Lars, you had uh, predicted at the beginning of the season that Spurs would end up in third. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, that will have been... Oh, I hate this. Um, that will have been is based on... the most painful on... of your predictions, Lars? Yes. The, most, the, the most embarrassing one. Because everyone, like, when you're... When you make the decision to sort of be upfront about what team you support, because there are some people who sort of write and talk about football who just make the decision not to tell anyone because they don't want to deal with the social media uh, hassle that comes with it. But once you decide to be upfront about it, as I have, the most embarrassing thing that can happen is that you predict your team to fit do well and then they don't like that's the biggest l you can ever take and i and i, I consistently over uh rate i mean not this season obviously but in previous seasons i've pretty consistently overrated arsenal because i just want to make sure i'm definitely not being too down on them uh this season we'll get to that uh but um yeah no i i thought based on what Antonio Conte did with the team after he came in. Like they were, I think they were the third best team in the league after he took over. And I thought, mm -hmm. having had a full preseason, having made some signings, I liked some of them better than others. But I thought, you know, he's been quite involved. They're clearly trying to build like a three at the back team and get some aggression in up front in Richarlison. And you can see the Conte fingerprints on here. I always knew the Conte thing would come crashing down. And, and not in five years, probably quicker than that, because that's how Conte is. But I did think that Tottenham would get one season out of it, out of the Conte thing, one season where it worked like it did in the second half of last season. And I didn't see a reason why him having a full preseason and having some transfers that suited him being made, why that should significantly weaken the team. Um which it ended up doing, you know, it all just became a mess. And uh, and Conte 
being the uh, expert sort of uh, PR manipulator that he is, he did his level best to put the blame on the club and put the failings on the players, uh, sort of Mourinho-esque behavior towards the end of the season, but but sort of with a bit of distance to it and with a clear-eyed view on this, it's it's on him. It's it's an awful lot of it. It's on him how bad this team was in the first half of the season. And, and he kept doing exactly the same thing, expecting the, a different outcome. Where I have sympathy with Conte, first of all, obviously on the personal side, he, he lost some friends to this this year. I'm sure that emotionally was tough for him. He had to have an operation, all this sort of stuff. And Tottenham also had a period where they kept conceding like really goofy goals for like weird individual mistakes and deflections and like dumb stuff that kept happening. And so much of his game plan is like, well, well, his game plan clearly was. I mean, we've forgotten about this. We had this weird period of Tottenham just not playing in the first half. Like, we're just going to keep it tight in the first half, and then we turn the screws in the second half. Well, that doesn't work if you keep conceding stupid goals. What you maybe need to do then is acknowledge that you have some really elite attackers in this team, so let's try to get the ball forward more often. Maybe that's the thing we should do. But no, he kept doing the same thing. It kept producing bad results, and he eventually, seeing that things were going wrong, uh, started blaming the players and started blaming the club, uh, as he always does. Uh, I can't stand managers like this who 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 constantly try to escape uh, criticism and who are so quick to throw the people who are paying them under the bus to protect their own reputation. I'm baffled why anyone hire would hire people like this. Uh, but but again, Tottenham did and it did work initially. So a disaster of a season and everything that really happened. I mean, Conte had to leave, obviously he was desperate to leave. Uh, he, he, he very literally talked himself out of the job and that's what he was trying to do. Some very, very gullible fans kind of drank the Kool-Aid and, and, <laughs> and believed him. But I mean, that was him trying to blame other people. Uh, and they didn't have a succession plan. You, you, you sporting director who basically goes to football jail after a while. That's a disaster. No, it, it was so awful. And it got to the point where I'm, you know, being a Tottenham fan, living in London, though other side of town, I kind of look at the weekend. It's like there's loads of tickets going on the resale market. And I was like, I could could go to Tottenham this weekend. It's great. But I'm also thinking, do I want to pay like 80 pounds to watch something that's going to make me furious for the rest of the weekend? I was like, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to skip that. <laughs> no, that makes me a bad fan. But I was like, this is an act of self-care and just not going to Tottenham. Because like I don't want to pay money to get angry. That just doesn't make any sense. Um, what uh, what iteration of Spurs did you like less, the Mourinho year or the or time mm. or the uh, Conte time? No, Mourinho is still the worst one because with Mourinho there were so men, there was so much evidence of what he is and what he's become that they should have known better. With Conte, I understand why they tried it and why they wanted to try it, and at least we had that uh, period last season when he did get the team into shape and you forget how good they were last spring and that we saw the sort of Conte model of football really work you can see the thinking Mourinho was so clearly like Mourinho had been chased out of town so many times and has created so many toxic situations so many places that there's no excuse for being fooled by this guy uh, but he does seem to have a particular hold over wealthy people who control football clubs uh, with Conte I understand why they did it and uh, I'm surprised and obviously disappointed that it came crashing down as soon as they did. I kind of always thought it would end like this, but I thought they'd get one good year at least. Uh, and your letter grade for Spurs? Huh. 
I mean, just because how bad the feeling was towards the end of it, I'm sort of kind of tempted to go all the way to an F with this as well. But maybe I'm being too liberal with my F's. F's. I mean, they finished eighth. The Tottenham are probably sixth in the league in terms of finances. I'm not sure where you factor in Newcastle in this. Can we make a case for an E? But then, like, I, I think probably an E could be, an E minus could be the right decision. But just because of how awful it felt on an emotional level, it was just no fun. At no point of the season was it any fun. And I think a few United fans listening will recognize this from, like, the Mourinho end game with their club as well. You're just not looking forward to the games or anything around the games because it's just so negative and bad. That was the kind of cycle Tottenham ended up in. And then having no succession plan of any kind either. No, it's got to be an F. Sorry, it was just it was just bad. I'm being a little bit emotional about it, but no, another F. <laughs> so I'm handing right. out a lot of Fs, but that's where we are. Uh, I just want to state for everybody: uh, this American is highly confused. Are you uh, in Norway? Do they actually have a letter grade of E? Is E not a thing? I just kind of assumed it was all the letters. No, in the United States, you get A, B, C, D, and then Why? they skip E and go to F. Why I don't know. E? It's just how. There's a lot mm. of things you could ask and ask the why when it comes to the United States, Lars. Well, we, don't ask our, me, and I don't know our the Our letter grades are one through six, six being the best one and one being a failure. We use numbers? Yeah. And you call them letter grades? No, well, we no, we just call them grades, I guess. Grades. Oh, okay. So when you go home and, and your mom says, did you get a one? Well, if if I got a one, I wouldn't go home. Probably, <laughs> I'd have to. Oh, I'd one is the oh uh, low is bad. I'd, I'd oh, be, one is bad. I'd be Six heading. Yeah, I'd be heading straight to social services, man. I have to re. I got to be rehomed. <laughs> so I can't bring this home. <laughs> but, uh, Let me re-ask my question. If you got if you if you went home or you were having time with your parents, your parents would say, Lars, little Lars, if you get. Straight fives or sixes will buy you a bicycle for your birthday. Well, they they wouldn't say that. It would be more like got a four, really. You should at mm. least be getting a five in this one. Uh, it'll mm. be yeah, it'll be this kind of vibe. Yeah, curious. Well, yeah, we do letter grades, and for some reason, E is not one of the letter grades we use here in the United States. But I uh, learn the new things all the time. So maybe I should probably um, know that, being a citizen of the world. So all my references to E. Uh, during the last uh, four hours of podcasting, it's been completely <laughs> meaningless and weird. <laughs> I thought maybe I had heard you wrong earlier and you'd said D. And no. I was like, oh, no. I, uh, I'm glad we had this. Again. Yeah, I'm glad we had this chat uh, two hours in. Not, <laughs> not immediately. <laughs> All right. So an F for Tottenham. Now we move to seventh place. I think I got a two once in arts and crafts because I just weren't, I couldn't be bothered. That's probably my (laughs) my academic low. (laughs) I I also had a period of like getting threes in maths because again, I I wasn't making an effort. Uh, So so that's, you know, my grades were not all good. My grades in Norwegian and English were, were good. And, and then, you know, if you had as, to give a new, if you had to give a numerical grade to your predictions so far, what would you give them so far? Lars? Oh, um, probably a three. There are some, there are some good ones okay. in there, but they're too much overall failure. So that'll be a three for me, I think. Uh, well, you'll feel better about this one because uh, at number seven ended up Aston Villa, and you had predicted Villa mm. to end up in eighth. So you were yeah. essentially in the right place. Yeah, I didn't. 
you know, they took a detour. Uh, the, I, I, I was kind of torn on this because I remember looking, I remember thinking a lot about the Villa prediction before the season. And their squad is like, I like it in the short term. I wonder where they're going in the long term uh, because I feel like, you know, excluding the business they've done this summer, that's a different conversation. But the squad they came into the season with and the business they've done recently when Steven Gerrard was still in charge, I kind of felt like they were buying their way to like the most expensive seventh place in history. And there's no point doing that. Like if you're going to spend more money than the club is probably bringing in, the only rationale for doing that is that you're hoping to crack the top four at some point because that's when the like, additional income starts really flowing in and it makes sense. If you're going to sort of hover around uh, seventh, eighth, ninth, but you're also spending above your means a little bit, sooner or later you become Everton and you end up in like a financial bind yeah. that is really difficult to get out of. And like bringing in Coutinho, spending a lot of money on Luca Dean, there's a lot of transfers there that I think are like individually, maybe I uh, Coutinho, I just hate outright. But like if you do a lot of these things sooner or later, it, it, it can go bad. But in the short term, their squad is pretty beefy. And I, I kind of thought I was a bit worried about how Steven Gerrard would do without McBeal, who who'd moved on and is now at Rangers, who seemed to be he was the brains behind the operation a little bit, uh, and that kind of collapsed. But then Unai Emery just seems like a perfect manager for them, uh, and and just sort of making the best out of those tools that they have, and those tools are pretty good, and and good, yeah, really really impressive work by Unai Emery. I don't have it in front of me, but like they were. The sort of the league table after Emery, I'm sure they're pretty high, and very interesting to see what he can do with them in in, in European competition next year. They're making some interesting moves this summer, so uh, kind of feel like the future is uh, is interesting for for Aston Villa. I think they're absolutely one of the clubs to keep an eye on for next season. I, and I don't know how many people remember they didn't. They ended up in seventh place, but they didn't actually crack the top half of the table until I think I'm correct in saying April 1st is the first time they actually got out of the bottom half of the table. Yeah, and uh, their last that that run under Emery was fantastic, and there was a period of time where we were all asking if they were going to end up in a European spot. They almost seemed destined for you know further up, like maybe yeah. a Euro- Europa League spot. Um, and then there was even that period of time where we were like, man, are they actually going to end up in fourth? Yeah. Didn't end up playing out that way, but man, a great season. I'm I'm interested to know what you give them as a letter grade at this point. Uh, I'm thinking B. I think it's good. It's a weird because it's such a split wow. season. It's such a split season uh, between the Steven Gerrard debacle and Unai Emery getting it all together. But in the end, they've ended up exactly where... Uh, pretty thought well. they would, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Where did I predict them? I had them... You had eighth. Yeah. Yeah, and they finished seventh. Yeah, so that's... I. Um, yes, so Chelsea is the big... So the season got weird because you had two top six teams... Who, who just uh, went potty in, in their pants. <laughs> you had two of the top six teams that just completely imploded, and that messes things up a little bit. But I kind of had Villa. I thought it was the top six, and without you know getting ahead of myself, I thought it was the top six or the top six, and then Newcastle are the best of the rest, and then Villa are the best after that is where I had it in my head. And and I think that's I think that's kind of where we are still, no? Yeah, no, I thought that was totally reasonable. So, okay, a B for Villa um, yeah. on Lara's grading system, and I guess that a, would be... A for Emery, I suppose, and a B overall. 
All right. Is that a five in the Norwegian grading system? A B? Yeah. Is yeah, a B a yeah, five? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Very good. And then ending up in six, also uh, probably the club that I always tell any random American looking to pick up a Premier League team. I'm like, you, you might want to consider Brighton as the club to mm. uh, follow because I think they're a great story and a lot of fun. And what a what I mean. If there was a if there was a club I wish had a Amazon Prime all or nothing documentary done about their season, it would have been Brighton in this particular season because that is a club that got picked over a lot and ended up in sixth place and has to feel very good about themselves. Lars, you had predicted Brighton ending up in twelfth. Okay, yeah, I thought I thought there would be regression. Uh, but I did not predict the, the, the whirlwind that was Roberto de Zerbi turning up. And I'm, I'm not saying Graham Potter would have necessarily led them to 12th, but you know, I thought it were going to drop off a little bit, struggle to, to, to you know, live up to the excellent season they had before. Um, but Roberto de Zerbi, man, uh, what an incredible hire by, by Brighton. Uh, the, the way he came in and took a team that was kind of really well drilled and impressive, but maybe a little bit dull uh, and lacked a little bit of verve and, and flair going forward. And just without making huge changes to the playing personnel, just completely changed, you know, added so much and, and, and took that sort of solid organization and just added a, a layer of that thing they do of playing out from the back where they tempt people to come in to press them. So you open space and then you play these sort of quick combinations through. It's remarkable how he was able to implement that mid season. Like people forget, you don't actually have a lot of time on the training ground in the middle of the premier league season. There's so many games and uh, you know, he just came in and in short order was able to put his sort of ideas onto the field and we could see it clearly on the field and it was working. You don't see that very often. And uh, it, it was really, really remarkable. Uh, I, I, I'm happy enough. That's a whole nother conversation. But again, being a Tottenham fan, I'm happy enough with Anushka Postacoglu. He seems like a good guy, but I, I really wanted to Zerbi this summer. And maybe that's a move he didn't want to make. Uh, maybe he has his eye on even bigger things uh, further down the line. Maybe he wants to see what he can do with Brighton one more season. But uh, just absolutely incredible stuff from, uh, from the club in terms of having a good contingency option uh, when Potter was poached. People keep being poached from Brighton and they keep chugging along. And, and Roberto De Zerbi, remarkable uh, effort from him coaching-wise. It's interesting because Brighton has a bunch of players that you're – I think in many instances, if a club was in this position, you'd be worried about them getting picked clean in the transfer mm. window. But for some reason, Brighton has had this ability just to like, oh, yeah, we'll get rid of that guy and we'll just replace it with this guy. Yeah. And it's worked out really, really well, you know, and um, it's like they hide them in their couch cushions and just uh, reveal them in, at, a, a, at weird times. Uh, yeah, and, no, absolutely. Uh, Behind yeah, the, and, and, and I, I love like pontificating. That's one of those things that I actually find the off season quite fun. I don't enjoy the rumor like, is he going here? Is he going there? Like that whole side of it, I don't love. But I do enjoy sort of when a transfers happen, thinking, "Ooh, does this make sense? Is this a good player? Is this a bad player? How does he fit in?" That sort of like sort of theory crafting almost, I, I, I enjoy. 
But the funny thing about Brighton, I'm at a place now with Brighton that when they sign a player, you're just, yeah, I'm sure that's fine. I'm sure they thought of like I'm not going to second guess the recruiting department at this football club because they've gotten so many things right over the last few years. If Brighton signs someone, you just kind of sit up and yeah, yeah, it's probably good. Yeah, when they lost it, when they sold off Basuma, I thought, oh, that's not that that's going to hurt. They're not going to be able to replace Basuma easily. And lo and behold, they did just fine. They did even better. Mm. And that's why I feel like if they get rid of, if they sell off Casado, I mean, I'm sure they're going to, they're going to end up selling him. They're just, ha- they'll have somebody else to take his place and they'll be uh, pretty, uh, they'll do okay. What will be interesting is how they handle playing in Europe, because that's the thing we haven't seen from them before is, yeah. is having to play on Thursday and Sundays. And, and the, the squad size is one thing and the, the rhythm players don't enjoy it. The, the, the Thursday, Sunday, I've never gotten a clear answer as to why Thursday, Sunday is so Beer. much worse than, Wednesday, Saturday. Well, you joke, but actually, even if they don't drink most of them, there's something about playing on the Sunday that means you don't have a weekend. Because if you play on the Saturday, after the game on Saturday, you can go to a concert, you can go to a restaurant, you can go out with your family. But if you play on the Sunday, you know, you're kind of on high alert on the Saturday when everyone else is going out. You just kind of sat in a hotel or at home and preparing for the game. And then after the game, sure, you can go out, but it's a Sunday night, you know, it's not the same. So I do wonder if mm. it's just a social, mental element of it. I, I, I should ask an actual footballer about it at some point. Uh, your letter grade for the Seagulls, sir. I mean, so I, I don't want to be too like liberal with the grades here, but I think we got to go A again. Like it's, it's Brighton. They're finished. Oh my gosh. How do you not give them an A plus? Yeah, no, I think, I think, I think it is. It's, it's, it's one of those things because... It's not just that, yeah, let's, let's slap on a plus as well. Uh, it's not just that it's a great season. It's that it's a great season in which they had their manager poached mid-season and they managed to yes, get the they... right guy who actually made them even better. Oh, you're right. You're right, Peter. Uh, Chelsea walked in and did an armed home invasion, stole all their goods <laughs> left, and they still ended up in sixth place. I mean, goodness, Just like any other human was... capital industry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, Uh, so now we move on to fifth, and that's where Liverpool ended up in fifth place. Lars, do you remember where you had predicted Liverpool to finish the season? Second, second, probably. Yes, you did have Liverpool at number two, and they ended up in fifth. Well, yeah, I didn't didn't see the collapse coming. Uh, I I guess it it was an end. It's it's, it's the end of a cycle, isn't it, is the short version. Yeah. you, you had a couple of guys who were important to the team who grew old. Uh, and, um, I mean, they had huge defensive problems all year. I mean, the Liverpool thing is either very complicated or very simple. And and the complicated thing is the one I just kind of started on now before I remembered that I don't remember everything, you know, kind of forgot my words and all this sort of stuff. But, like, the very simple explanation for Liverpool season is that if you sort the league according to XG produced, you know, things produced going forward... Liverpool are third. They were the third best attacking unit, uh, according to the XG. If you sort them according to defense, I have to count now. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. No, they're ninth, right? So they are still a Champions League place, you know, elite level attacking unit, but they are bang average defensively this season. You know, they were still good in attacking, but they couldn't defend. And they have a myriad of, of, of issues that I don't think we have time to go into. <laughs> but it's uh, that right-hand flank kind of collapsing a little bit uh, because Salah doesn't do a lot off the ball anymore. 
Trent Alexander-Arnold not great at defending and they don't have a right side of midfielder who can cover as much ground as they, they were able to do before. That kind of thing not really working. They're trying to find a new position for Trent Alexander-Arnold. Salah having a brilliant season, by the way. Low-key, amazing season by Salah, who got very little attention because Liverpool were overall a bit bad. But like 19 goals and 12 assists, that is a good Mohamed Salah season. You know, he's still producing at, at 31, but he's kind of not doing much off the ball and they have to adjust to that. And in the Klopp system, that's a bit of a problem. There's kind of all these little things happening. Their midfield not working at all. Fabinho having a bad year. They're fixing it this summer. They've already signed McAllister. There's going to be at least one more midfielder coming in. But yeah, a, a bit of a sort of end of a cycle, it felt like. And uh, and Klopp is uh, thankfully being given, I mean, he should have all the credit in the bank possible. And he's been giving time to, to build something new. So what is your letter grade for Liverpool? I mean, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, because they improved a lot towards the end of the season, but they still missed out on top four, which is badissimo for them. Um, maybe that's over dramatic of me, but I'm thinking like the E+. I mean, I think we're going to go that low because I think Liverpool, yeah, not missing it. Liverpool missing out on the Champions League is, uh, that is very bad. And it just feels like because they're, their worst periods were kind of early and midway through the season. It feels like we've kind of forgotten about it. And we're now mostly thinking about how good they were towards the end and how they were kind of, now they're making exciting moves in the window and they're kind of getting somewhere. But they got 92 points last season. And and, and this season they, they miss out on the Champions League and, and get 67 points. Like that is, that's a bit of a stinker. So that's a D, let's call it a D plus. Okay. All right. And they miss out on Bellingham, too. Yeah, no, that, that's a good point. If they had another year where they kind of kept kept track with City and were in the conversation towards the end of the year, maybe Bellingham would have, maybe he would have gone to Real Madrid anyway. But but certainly, well, he doesn't he doesn't need to join the rebuild, so he doesn't have to. Uh, so he goes to no. To Real but Madrid if they had instead, made so. Champions League and had that money coming in, maybe they don't bail out on the Bellingham race as quickly. No, as they but did. I, I, I think it's about where he wanted to go. I think if he still wanted to go to Liverpool, they would have found the money. I mean, that for for Bellingham, you find the money somewhere. But I think it was just a yeah. case of they realized he's. It, there's a lot of uncertainty there because what I kind of like it with McAllister and whoever, whether it's Kefren Tiram or, or Manu Kone or whoever they bring in, like I, I, I kind of think there are upsides and that the front line still looks exciting. Like it could be good, but you also you also don't know if this rebuild is going to work, and then you have the other option, which is joining, uh, joining Real Madrid, where you can play one more year with Luka Modric towards the end of his time, and then you have this sort of really cool. Camavinga, Fede Valverde, Chouameni, sort of powerful midfield for the next sort of half decade at least there going. like That's just more attractive, isn't it? Sorry, Liverpool fans, but right now that's, that's just a cooler place to be, I think. Where'd that city didn't go for him? I will put that in there. Uh, yeah, well, it's a uh, fair point. Uh, all right, now in fourth ends up Saudi, or, I mean, Newcastle. <laughs> and uh, the Saudi Mags. You, that's right. Uh, let's see. And so Newcastle in fourth, and you predicted them in seventh, Lars. Yeah. Yeah. So I predicted them in seventh because, again, I thought they were the best of the rest. I thought, you know, uh, top six is the top six, but Newcastle are the best of the other teams. But then, of course, what happened is that Chelsea have a complete disaster. Tottenham eventually have a disaster. And Liverpool, you know, bad year. So with three out of the top six 
not looking like themselves, suddenly the best of the rest is is, is good enough to put you forth, is kind of the short version of it. As my favorite saying goes, as you know, you don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun the other campers. And in this case, some of the, <laughs> so the, some of the other campers were pretty slow and were falling over themselves, especially in the case of, of Chelsea. So uh, so there they are, Newcastle. And that seems like I'm not giving them enough credit. And I guess I'm not. Uh, they deserved it, right? It's not just a case of them, uh, like I said, nipping in while the others were bad. Again, if you look at the, the underlying numbers, the XG... If you do the sort of XG goal difference, like what you create minus what you concede, I think they had the second best record in the league, actually better than Arsenal. Um, So the underlying numbers are super strong on this Newcastle season. Incredibly impressive work by Eddie Howe. They've not fallen into the traps that I thought they would with the new rich thing. I thought they'd buy a lot of big names who are maybe on the wrong end of their careers and maybe gotten lost a little bit. Um, They haven't done that. I thought for sure they'd like like Eden Hazard and Gareth Bale and like Deli Ali. It's just like yeah, get us the shiny names. But no, they've well, been run go, very very. They go full Todd Bully. Yeah, no. Well, well he's not, to to be fair to Todd, he has at least signed young players. Uh, I thought. Okay. Uh, I, I guess I, I thought they'd go full Saudi league. <laughs> uh, I guess that's a better comparison. That's uh, a better comparison. The players who are going to Saudi, I thought those were the ones who would be going to Newcastle. Uh, but um, no, but they've been smart. They, they seem to have intelligent people in charge ahead of schedule uh, is what they are. And uh, I, I suspect their rise is uh, is uh, is the thing that's going to keep happening and, and a very, very impressive season for, for Newcastle. All right. Your letter grade for the Magpies. God. I guess I kind of have to give him an A, don't I? I kind of want to knock it down to B yeah. plus. For, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because, you know. It's got to be an A. Man, they had yeah, that weird, yeah. insane stretch of the season where they didn't lose a game for what seemed like an impossible amount of time. Too many draws, yeah. but still but, but, undefeated but can, for a, but, Yeah, a 12, but the question is, can, can a team that's owned by the by Saudi Arabia ever get an A on my grade scale? I mean, that is the oh, question. okay. All right. Always got to bring politics into it. I'm going to side with like uh, integrity, I guess, and concede that uh, under the circumstances of this season, finishing fourth for Newcastle, kind of have to give him an A. Yeah, definitely. All right. In third place ends up Manchester United, which you had predicted would end up in sixth. Yeah. Was- and two weeks into the season, I thought that was looking pretty good. <laughs> yeah. if, if, if bit generous, <laughs> if anything. <laughs> I thought yeah. there was too much to fix in too short a space of time. Um, you're the Man United fan in the room. Sorry for outing you, but you are. Uh, how do you feel it's going? I am a yes. Yeah, so let me. I'll just say this for people who aren't familiar. I am in the admitted cliche American Man U fan, although my ties to the club date back to uh, the mid to late '90s. So oh, I can say that. But I'm gonna let you take the rain here a little bit because uh, you've watched more Man United games than I have this season. I would imagine. I watched them all. I was uh, largely uh, pleased by what I saw. Um, I Ten Hag feels like the right guy. I, uh, I'm a little confused as to what's going to end up happening with this ownership situation and how much of their indecisiveness in terms of who they're going to sell it to um, uh, ends up harming or helping the transfer window. Because right now... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all of the United social media accounts are freaking out that everybody else is making moves and United uh, is goofing around and not getting anything done. 
Um, and so it, it'll it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But it, for the first time in a long time, it at least feels like the club is in uh, the arrow is pointed up and it, the season ended up better than I thought it would as well. So um, if they can get rid of some players that I think are dead weight on the club and and fix some positions and add some players, I feel good about uh, things uh, for United. Uh, I feel like I, I wonder how well this phrase translates into English. But both when watching the team play, and especially off the and off the field as well, I feel like you've got grown ups in charge now. <laughs> I, I feel like there's I, I I just when I when I watch Man United this season, they've, of course they haven't been flawless and they've not scored as many goals as you'd hoped, and and they've lost some games here and there. But I feel like they're starting to look like a proper football team. I think that the the increase in sort of know-how and footballing IQ that you got by adding Casemiro and Eriksen to the midfield over McFred is just, that's, that is a bit of a change. Not that that's a perfect midfield by any means, but like just the quality in your build-up play and the way the ball is moved around. This is just a different level, I think. And I'm just getting the sense with Ten Hag, yeah, doing a good job. And maybe all these changes that we've heard about you know, different director of, of football and Woodward not being involved, uh, you know, Dan Fletcher doing something. I don't know. You know, they did make a lot of changes behind the scenes. Maybe some of that's taking effect. Maybe that's what we're seeing in slightly better decisions. I do, I do think they kind of got away with, I mean, like signing Anthony for a hundred million or whatever it is. It's one of those. Like, yeah. That is that's what. But then, because the season was so good overall, you kind of escaped scrutiny a little bit for that. Uh, but if I was a United fan, I'm obviously not. But if I was, I would sort of feel quietly optimistic about the future because I would feel more so than in the last however many years that you got like intelligent people who seem to be making decisions at the moment. And and that, that that's gotta be good. Yeah. I, I, I worry about the average age of the midfield with those mm-hmm. uh, with Casemiro and Erickson being their age and how long can they hold out? Um, Bruno is not a spring chicken either, by the way. Uh, and, and if Anthony doesn't, pro- Anthony doesn't progress and, and really start to play towards the amount of money they paid for him, they've got to get a nine Martial. I, if I never see him wear a United shirt again, <laughs> it'll be too soon. Um, and they uh, need a center back and uh, they've obviously got to figure out their goalkeeping situation. So there's a yeah. lot to be done. It won't surprise me to see United end up in a worse situation, in a worse place in the table next season. But if they buy the right players, I could see them, um, you know, mm. sticking in third next season. So uh, it, a and, lot and, is and, very TBD until we get out of the transfer window. And you're right. I mean, trying to project into the future is just kind of impossible when we don't know what's going on with the with the takeover you don't know who's going to own it and you don't know if that's good they're going to everyone's kind of assuming you, you know reading social media like if the Qataris go in great because they've got loads of money if Jim Radcliffe goes in less good because he's not Qatari which is like <laughs> my, my dude my dudes have you watched psg recently like the Qataris are not not necessarily amazing at running a football club well yeah and then obviously there's the ethics of it too yeah yeah <laughs> you brought that up yeah uh there is the ethics of it i i feel like again that horse kind of bolted once we said that the saudis are fine there's just kind of really no i mean I, thank god the north koreans can't afford a premier league club because that would have gotten really awkward <laughs> uh, but you know uh, that, that that's kind of what but i just also think 
this argument that United, they need Qatar to compete with Man City. Actually, they don't, because over the last sort of 10, 15 years, they've actually spent as much as City. They're like the one club in the world who generates so much cash. They don't actually need a golf state to be able to compete with the wealthiest clubs out there. They just need to be less badly run than they have been. And and I feel like in general, obviously the takeover will de- determine a lot, but this felt like a step in the right direction, at least this season. And back in the Champions League, big deal. Well, it does. And, and, and especially in a time where there is more competition than ever with Newcastle situation, uh, you know, uh, and other clubs, you know, Tottenham, I, I feel like are going to turn things around. The, the race to be a Champions League spot in the Premier League, I think just gets insane from here on out. Mm, I, I, yeah. I don't think you can, I, I just think it's going to become more and more difficult as we sit and make predictions to figure out who the top four are going to be season in and season out. Um, because I just think with the amount of money all these clubs are bringing in, as long as they hire people that are smart uh, and how to spend, it, I, it's just going to get more difficult. And that's a good thing for the Premier I, League. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's the sort of like, for a while, and you, you'll know this, of course, we had a period where we had four teams who got the top four spots pretty much every year. And that was a very stable yep. construction. And it allowed those teams to just kind of keep working away because as long as you're in the Champions League, the ownership doesn't freak out and fire everyone. <laughs> so, so people just kind of kept working. And that, and you almost had like a cartel who were able to keep strengthening themselves. But when it's six teams, as it's been for the last few years, and now looking like seven with Newcastle, that's just an inherently unstable situation structurally. Because every year you're going to have at least two, and in the end, probably three teams who have their hair on fire because they're not in the Champions League and who are not mm. going to let people work and are going to fire people. And it's just going to be inherently chaotic, which I guess for the neutral, you know, there might there may not be a lot of excitement about who wins the league for a while, while Mr. Guardiola is where he is and while City are as well run as they are. But in terms of the top four, I don't think that's ever going to be boring because it's just always going to be unstable and fun. Uh, letter grade for United, sir. Solid B, isn't it? Like that's the archetype of a B season, I think. Yeah, uh, I think I agree with you on that. I, I wouldn't. I, are you I, tempted to go A B plus? Yeah. No, 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 yeah, no. Well, but a B they plus. did win the cup. To be fair, they won a trophy. Yeah, yeah, and they uh, and they were in all four competitions. They were in for an extended period of time, which was part of the reason why they didn't win more than yeah. they should have because the roster was so thin. But um, yeah, let's yeah, say that a B, a, a B, B but the with the plus for winning the League Cup, I think that's fair. Okay, very good. Now to number two would be Arsenal. And Lars, yeah. you had Arsenal finishing fourth. Yeah, uh, which I think was man, higher I, than a lot of people had them. I don't remember what I had predicted Arsenal as. Um, man, a, a fascinating season for Arsenal. Uh, and I think for many people probably feel like it was a disappointment. But if you had t- been told at the beginning of the season that Arsenal had finished second and only five points behind City, you probably would have grabbed that and run with it. Yeah, listen, you, you can't really get away from the fact that they were in the lead for for so long and they kind of threw it away uh against you know (laughs) against like southampton and and west ham and that awful second half at anfield i mean obviously that's going to sting and we, we keep hearing this debate and i've said this already on this pod so the listeners will know my views on it but like i keep hearing like was it progress 
or was it an opportunity missed? I mean, it is so clearly both. And those two things are not mutually exclusive. But I think at the end of the day, when the dust settles over the season, Arsenal go into the season either the fifth or sixth uh, highest team in the terms of payroll in the league. And with certainly one of the, if not the youngest squad, I think before the January window, they they had the youngest squad before they brought in uh, Jorginho and Trossard. I think that's how, I think that's true. Certainly one of the youngest squads. So fifth or sixth highest wage bill and the youngest, one of the youngest squads. If you then emerge as the only team that can hang with City uh, towards the end of the season, you've had a great season. Like there's just no other way of, of, of wording that. And of course, there's going to be banter. There always is. Uh, and if the shoe was on the other foot, uh, I think I know what Arsenal fans would be saying if they, if that was a, a Tottenham, for instance, uh, is kind of losing it that way. Uh, I, I know the word that would have been used for it. Uh, but, uh, but, but when we sort of step away from all of that sort of back and forth of social media, and it's an amazing season. And it's a season that I thought, I, I picked them fourth because I, I kind of liked the general direction of travel. I liked putting faith in youth the way they had done. I liked the bravery they showed by cutting some big name high earners and putting faith in like some slightly lesser heralded younger players. I thought that was the right direction for them to go in. The season they had this year is kind of the season I thought they could have had the year after this. Like they they kind of they did it earlier than I thought they'd be capable of if that makes sense. No, it totally makes sense. And with the offseason they're having in terms of replacing Xhaka and Partey uh, with um, uh, Declan Rice, which looks like is going to happen if it hasn't officially yet already, and um, Kai Havertz, which is an interesting addition to that team. Like mm. I'm, uh, that's uh, that is to me is a is an indication that like if Arteta can get a tune out of Havertz, that is going to show a quality of his managerial abilities of the highest order. I mean, that would yeah. be tantamount to getting, you know, Sterling to turn into a goal scorer like uh, Pep did at city. So I, I, that'll be fantastic, mm. especially if he plays him further back in the midfield uh, as he uh, used to do in Germany a, a little bit more often. So I, I'm fascinated by the Arsenal offseason and what they, and if they can actually put a run against city next season, but uh, what it, what's your letter grade for Arsenal? It has to be super high, right? No, it has to be an A, absolutely. Just no doubt about it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Incredible right. season by them. Superb work. And uh, just the only question is, yeah, going into the next season, that's not to do with this. I feel like that's almost a different conversation. But can can they follow it up? You know, is this the... But, but that's, that's, that's an entirely separate thing. We're just focused on this season. Uh, brilliant, brilliant season by Arsenal. Couldn't quite do it, but then... I think any fans who like give Arsenal a stick for like not finishing above Manchester Pep Guardiola's Manchester City, like if I was an Arsenal fan, my reply would be, "Well, where the hell are your team?" Like, yeah, like exactly. Like, 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 like bearing in mind, like most fans support the other top clubs, right? Like you're spending more money than we have and have a more experienced squad. Where the hell are you? Uh, why were we the only one who can actually try to fight the Death Star here? You were all messing around finishing here and there, yeah. It was a great season by Arsenal. You you can't really say anything else unless, well, you can, but you you would be wrong. Look at us here, Lars. We are approaching the end of a second hour, <laughs> and we have made it to number one in due time. Uh, it is Manchester City. Ended up, as we all know, Premier League champions once again. And Lars, congratulations. That is who you predicted in first place before the season yeah. started. So. Kudos to yeah. you, Yeah, so. well, I, I feel... <laughs> can I even receive the kudos? I mean, 
yeah, the, the 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 best team in the league finished top of the league. The league that the team that spent the most money is the best run uh, is the best coach. You know, they're the best team in England. They have been for a while. They're the best team in the world. There's no argument really, and 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 it's I guess especially when Liverpool kind of nose diving and having a transitional season. Arsenal, God bless them, like we said, doing above and beyond to stay with them. But no, the they were so they were comprehensively the best team. I guess the thing that's worth saying about Man City is it didn't seem like that halfway through the the year. It took Guardiola a little while to sort of find the right balance and the right mix of these players. And that is kind of fascinating the way Guardiola sometimes goes into a season seemingly not really knowing what the team is and and, and what actually the best combination is and and, and kind of takes him sometimes a little while to find it. But but the solution, of course, was the sort of John Stones hybrid thing. I feel like that just unlocked a lot of stuff for them. Suddenly, the team made much more sense. I have seen something recently about how actually their XG in the second half of the table, the second half of the league, weren't wasn't as good because it just felt like they were unstoppable at the time. Underlying numbers a little bit more un, unclear on that, but I I think. If we're going to say something substantive about the City season, of course, the big thing isn't that they win the league. They've done that a lot, but they won the Champions League as well. I wonder if, again, referencing back to the last episode, I think it matters that they had more variation to their play. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they allowed the opponents... Uh, listeners will know, last episode of the pod, I spoke a lot about this. They allowed the opponents many more touches in their box than we've seen before under Guardiola. So there was more openness. They weren't controlling the games quite as much as they sometimes do. It made them more fun to watch for neutrals, such as us, or me at least. You're not completely neutral. But like their games were more fun. Uh, but in, end, in, in the end, I think that helped them get all the way in the Champions League, that they had a little bit more variation to how they go about things. And of course, the ice, the ice troll cometh. They have, um, yeah, a goal scorer, a kind of player who Guardiola historically hasn't loved working with, but but here he is, and and Guardiola certainly made it work. We jo- we joked all season about how many goals they scored that uh, Pep quietly hated because <laughs> yeah. they they were of the two direct style or, or yeah. Or whatever, right? It wasn't dribble the ball through 15 people to the end line and then cross it back to the top of the six and tap it in kind of goal. No, it was give the ball to the big lunk and let him do what he does. And you always just like to laugh at how he probably just went home and kicked his dog. It's like, I hate that goal. (laughs) (laughs) It's the the Vario meme. It's like, I've won, but at what cost? Yes, exactly. Uh, but but, uh, but look, I do, I do uh, think the it's probably just a sheer euphoria at finally having gotten the Champions League monkey off his back. Yeah, and yeah. you know they're the best team in the world. It makes sense that they win the Premier League and the Champions League, and they found uh, again the simplest solution. City's thing was always that they have a striker who drops into midfield, and that's how they create overloads in midfield. Now they have a striker who doesn't do that. So what do you do? Well, you take your defender and move him into midfield, and and that's how you create overloads. It's an oversimplification, but that's kind of how what they did, uh, and it works. And um, yeah, I have to say I'm biased because of Erling Holland, but I think it's one of the city iterations I've enjoyed watching the most from an aesthetic point of view. This is closer to my idea of, of good football than the seasons when they had even more possession and just kind of strangled opponents. Uh, I, I like that there's a bit more dynamism in what goes on, 
but it's also part of me is just a big Erling Holland stand. So I just kind of watched 90 minutes looking at what the boy is up to. So I don't know, maybe I'm not even maybe I am definitely not entirely impartial here. Well, I am a neutral in all of this. Uh, despite being a United fan, I'm probably more of a neutral than I uh, get credit because I'm, um, I really just love the league in general, but the, the the fascinating part of Holland's addition to City is this almost like video game pairing of the best player with the best team to really see what you get because we see this so infrequently. So mm. uh, you, you just don't you don't very often get to see the best player of that position glue into a team that was already really good and they both kind of needed each other to really find their maximum capability. And that's what we saw this season. And while uh, I'm not a fan of City, I'm a fan of beautiful football. And there was mm. so much of that, especially after the charges came out and especially after they got <laughs> rid of Cancelo. And it yeah. all just really gelled and came together at, at like this... Uh, climax of a season to use an awful phrase but that's what it was and yeah they won the champions league which is really the only thing i think they really cared about but not only that the treble and yeah. I, that's a huge deal and congratulations to them for pulling it off uh, no matter how it happened yeah we had all these sort of big brain theories how will holland fit into guardiola's system we and, all and overthought truth- it didn't we well I always hedge, hedging my bets as always. I did kind of mention, well, it could just be that if you put like the smartest, uh, most lethal forward in the world ahead of like Kevin De Bruyne, goals will happen. <laughs> it turns out, turns out that was the case. But it's also true that Guardiola did end up changing his system a little bit and, and, and making allowances for the fact that he now has this incredible weapon who just is a little bit different. And, and, and it is a less pure form of Guardiola football for sure. But it is the one that finally got him the the Manchester City the, the Champions League title at Manchester City. I know it's been talked about a lot. I just don't know if enough credit has been given to Pep for doing this. But he turned John Stones into mm. a midfielder that probably any other Premier League club would love to have start in midfield for them after his yeah. season's performance, right? Well, and, it, John, <laughs> and that's a guy who we were all worried wouldn't even make it as a center back for a long yeah. amount of time. And somehow he's coached him up into this world-class midfielder. Yeah, it's been talked a lot on, about on this pod because I'm slightly obsessed with it. Because I was like, when we were having these overthinking big brain discussions uh, last year after Holland joined... Like no one said, well, the answer here is that you turn John Stones into a hybrid midfielder. Like no one said that. Like a lot of people had a lot of different views on how this was going to work. No one had that view. Like that, that just nope. wasn't the thing. And and Guardiola went to work. And I understand all the caveats. We've spoken about them at length in the last episode. And I understand why people find some people find Manchester City a little bit distasteful and all of that stuff. I I, I absolutely get it. But I also think there's nothing wrong with having all of those thoughts and feelings and also acknowledging that what Guardiola has done there is pretty extraordinary and that he is the sort of foremost uh, coaching mind of his generation. I think that's beyond any doubt whatsoever. All right. So your letter grade for city, sir. I have to call in an A, haven't you? I mean, uh, you know, they want everything. Uh, (laughs) They're the best team in the world and they want everything. What are you going to (laughs) do? It's an A. All right. Not an A plus plus. Well, no, because they have also spent more money than anyone else in the last sort of so and so many years. So, I mean, 
you could be very harsh and say this is the level they should be at. I mean, it's harder than that in real life, of course. But uh, Brentford finishing where they do, that's an A+. Brighton finishing where they do, that's an A+. But let's, yeah, it's an A for City. Okay, all right. Uh, Very good. If if Arsenal had pulled it off, that would have been an A+. But, uh, yeah. It is what it okay, is. Okay, so for okay, so if Arsenal had finished in first and City in second, what grade would you have given City? Oh, oh, that's a difficult one, especially if they also assuming they would have won the Champions League, because like you say, that was the big thing. If everything else about the season had played out exactly the same, but City ends up not winning the Premier League and end up second to Arsenal by a point or whatever, what would you have given City as a grade? Hmm. I hate this question. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm really glad it didn't happen. <laughs> okay. All right. I didn't mean to make just for grading. Hard, per- just for grading. No, this has kind of melted my brain a little bit. I mean, mate, what, what do you, th- honest to God, Peter, I don't know. I'm a little bit stumped. What do you think? I think here's the thing. I'm always been of the belief that really all city wanted was to win champions league. So if they had to forego winning the premier league to finally nab the, the, the champions league, then so be it because they had won it so many times. That's why I think this season is such a, a, a wondrous season for them because they, they won the treble and in the process also won the trophy. They really cared about the most. And so um, uh, if they had ended up in second, I think you'd still have to give them a solid A because they finally won the trophy they really cared about. Those are good arguments, but I would also say they're like the the most expensively assembled team, and you know, blah 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 blah, and they've lost the title to the fifth or sixth highest wage bill and the one of the youngest squads in the league. Like you can't give an A for that. <laughs> I think. Well, it's okay, but let me. Well, let me throw that back at you. If you're, if you are that, if that's the claim you're making, then why give them an A for anything? Because they're supposed to win this. It, you know, is it an A for effort? Is it an A because you know what I'm saying? It's like if you yeah, no, that's giving a, them an A. That's a very good point, and I did think about that. But I also think if you have a team that is the best in the world and literally wins everything, except I mean they were, st- yeah, they didn't actually win everything. They were stopped by Nathan Jones. <laughs> Nathan Jones' <laughs> Southampton was the only team that managed to stop Man City from winning a tournament this season. Uh, yeah, fair dues. Uh, yeah, but, it but just feels they, weird yeah. to say, it's weird to feel like giving City an A and also giving Brentford an A. And, and maybe those things aren't uh, comparable, um, but... It's almost like mean? grading teams is like a bad idea, and I should have not... <laughs> 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 Three hours in, maybe that was just the wrong approach altogether. <laughs> I thought it was highly entertaining, Lars, and I have enjoyed the last two hours uh, immensely. And I'm, I'm, and and I should tell you, and I'll tell everybody listening, I am incredibly honored that you asked me to participate ah. in this uh, recording, sir. I just really enjoy hanging out with you, and uh, you know, if if we can do that, and also like put put, put the, the the product product of produce of it on the internet, then maybe that's a win win. Possibly, we'll see yeah. what the listeners think. Write in. Well, did you enjoy this? Uh, then write in. If you did not, don't write in. We don't need to hear that. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, for those who listen to my show, The Kick Around, uh, know that Lars and I never got to finish our final uh, midweek episode that we typically were doing all season along mm. for a whole host of reasons. 
largely being my inept uh, technical ability on that particular day. Um, but so I'll just tell people to listen to this instead, Lars, uh, oh, yeah. if they want their yeah. Premier League season wrap up uh, for the Tuesday thing you and I used to do. Oh, yeah, cool. At which point I would say, uh, welcome to the Lars Resort, uh, Dare P1s. Uh, thanks for sticking uh, with this. And uh, please stay around for next season. It's, uh, it's a good pod, I think. Uh, I would it say is, that, obviously, because this is just mostly me. But uh, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for having me, Lars. And I think I, I, if I, I just, I'm going to give you a grade now uh, for your predictions. <laughs> oh, no. I'm going to give you a solid four and a half. Okay, I think that's kind. I think it's a sort of a, a strong three or a very weak four. But, uh, you know, we'll do better next year. I do. I got none of the relegation teams. Oh, for three for the relegation spots. That's a bit stinky. But you're very, very kind, Peter. Maybe, you know, it's, it's, it's the American thing. You know, you're nice people, aren't you, most of the time? So, I'm a good uh, Texan, Lars. A good Texan. There we go. Um, thanks for hanging out with me, and uh, I'll talk to you again soon. Anytime. That goes for the listeners, too. Thanks for hanging out. Talk to you again soon. Bye.